Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good morning to everybody. Uh, we're going to start this uh, morning Sunday school. Again, this is going to be the last class for our study in Romans. So before we start get into it, let's just open up in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you this Sunday morning, Lord God, for bringing us together to just stay in your word and to glean from your word, Lord God. I pray that you'd open our hearts. I pray that you'd open our minds. Help us to understand what you are trying to speak to us, Lord God. I pray that the, the word will transform our life as we go before, Lord God, uh, to the rest of the week and the rest of the service, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that your word will be so evident in our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'll teach us to apply this in our day-to-day -day lives, Lord God. I thank you for everybody who's gathered together here. I pray that your blessing, that your favor, that your wisdom will be upon them, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so this is the last class for Romans, and so quickly, uh, before getting into this, uh, the chapters we're going to focus on is chapters 12 through 16. So before we go through chapters 12 through 16, like every Sunday, we're going to go to do a quick recap. So uh, who wrote Romans? Paul did. So what is the key words of Romans? Do we have this memorized? Romans chapter 1 verse 16 is a key verse of Romans. It says that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of many or everyone. So the entire passage, the book of Romans is focused on one concept and that concept is the gospel or one truth or one message, I should say, rather than the concept. Uh, and that message is the gospel. When you look at the Bible, the Bible is not written chronologically. So it's not written like the first book to ever be written is not the first book because the first book to be ever written is Job. We don't see that Job is the first one or the, or the oldest book, I, would, I should say. And we don't see that. The reason why the Bible is arranged is according to the message that God wants to deliver to the people. So in the same way, in the New Testament, when you come, the first uh, God, book to be written was Mark, and then it was Galatians. So, but you don't see that in that order. You see that all the four Gospels are together. Then you see that Acts is together, uh, Acts is next, and then you f it is followed by Romans, and then it's followed by the rest of the letters, and finally, Revelation. None of this is dated, organized according to the right date, and, uh, but it's organized according to the message it wants to communicate to the people or to the listeners. And so if you're looking in that accordance uh, and in that importance of the message, you see that the first thing a Christian needs to learn and understand the basic idea is the, is the message or the story of Jesus, right? The, the history of Jesus, the life of Jesus, what Jesus did, all of this, the teachings of Jesus. So this is the first and foremost thing that a Christian needs to understand on a day-to-day -day basis is the four Gospels. After the Gospels, you see the fifth Gospel, which is still continuing to live through our lives today, is Acts of the Apostles. And so you see the work and the events of the church after the time of Jesus, you see that. And so that's the next important thing that the church needs to know, is how did the Apostles lead the church after the time of Jesus? So after the apostles, you see the next important book that we go to is Romans. And the reason why Romans is there before all the other episodes and the rest of the books is because it has the most important and basic message of the gospel. 
before it even gets complicated about the lifestyle of Christians, about the uh, understanding of the Old Testament and like in Hebrews, what happens to the future with eschatology, any of these things, before we understand any of those complicated issues, we need to understand the basic idea of what the gospel is. And that is why we see Romans listed as book number six in the New Testament. So um, if you go back to Romans chapter one, again, it says that the entire humankind is fallen. All of mankind is broken, right? So we already discussed this. Everybody, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we are all broken and we are all fallen in sin. And then he separates, Paul separates it out into two different categories, into the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, because there was a separation saying that the Jewish Christians thought they were better and the Gentile Christians thought they were better. And so he says, no, regardless of whether you're a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian, you're still fallen and you're short. Like we, are, we all need something better than ourselves. In other words, we're all in uh, miry clay or we're all in quicksand. And we need somebody to help us from the outside for us to get out of this life of sin, this cycle of sin. So that is the reason why we need a savior because no matter how much we try and keep doing good things, we can never get out of this cycle unless somebody from outside, like the Son of God, who is perfect and pure, comes and rescues us. So a lot of times people around the world, everybody, all human beings, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we all have this inner desire to be good. Nobody is born and thinks that I want to be bad. Nobody thinks that even the bad guys, they think they want to be good in some way. So they all, everybody has this inner innate desire and this need to be good. And so, and that looks different for every culture. It looks good for every religion. And the reason why people try to be good is for different purposes. And so what are those reasons? One of them could be just to be good as a good person, as a good human being, um, among your, in your community, in your society, you're trying to be a good person. Uh, other reason could be because you did something horrible and you're trying to repay and you're trying to repent and you're making up for the bad thing that you did, for the mistake that you're, you did. It's like kind of a repentance. Another a group of people, they'll try to please God or a higher being. And so they're trying to do this, uh, do so many things like climb up steps, go around to all the holy places, uh, give all their money to the poor, and go to Africa and help out, or India and go help like build wells. So people are trying to be good, except when you do all these good things, even after you do so many things, you'll still come to the end of the day and say, okay, I still need to do more because this is not enough. Because you, the, when you do all of these things on your own, there's never going to be enough. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to outgive yourself. So you, you're always going to have this thing of, okay, when am I going to be perfect? There's, that satisfaction's never going to be there. But when you come under Christ... When Christ says you don't have to do any of this thing to achieve salvation, when Jesus says you don't have to do any of these things and go around the entire world and visit all, visit all these holy places in order to please God or in order to achieve salvation, when, you, when Jesus says that, you have a satisfaction there. There is a completion there. And, Jesus, and, when, and 
your our lifestyle of do of living a good lifestyle or giving good things or doing good things all of that comes as a result of our salvation and that is a different thing when you look at these two things you see okay people are doing the same thing but it's not the same thing because one group of people are doing it outside of Christ and there's it's never ending and there's no satisfaction but the other group of people they say okay i don't have to do this but i'm still doing it out of my reaction as a response to the good thing that God did in my life. So even though I don't have to do it to please God, I'm doing it because God did so much for me. So as a result, to show the love of God, I'm going to do this. Uh, to show how I worship God, I'm going to give back to God. To show how I love God, I'm going to help my neighbor. So it comes as a natural response, and that doesn't come over day, over um, overnight, but it comes over over time. It comes as a step-by-step process when we look more and more like Jesus. And that is what you see in the gospel is that when you look in the mirror, if you're seeing yourself and there's no difference from what you were 10 years ago when you accepted Christ to what you are today, there's no progress in your life. And that's when you need to have a fact check and you need to have a reflection and you need to say, what? I mean, what is going on in my life? You need to think about yourself and say, okay, how is it that my passion for Christ is different? My first love for Christ has decreased from the time I accepted the Lord the first time. Or the first love that I had for the Lord when I took water baptism, that's not there anymore. It needs to keep increasing. Our love for God, our doing for God needs to keep increasing over time. And so that's when you check yourself all the time. And so uh, we went through Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans chapter 11 till last week. Okay, so we looked at the entire world is sinful. We need a savior. And Jesus came to the world. And as a response, we become united with Christ in baptism. And when we are united with Christ in baptism, our uh, our old person dies in water. And then we are resurrected with Jesus. So whatever is true of Jesus is true of us. So because Jesus is the son of God, we become the children of God. So when uh, Jesus is promising peace and eternal life and all these good things, that's true of us as well. So when we live our day-to-day life, we need to live a life of promise. Instead of living a life of disappointment, of discouragement, of thinking uh, everything's going to go bad, instead start off your day saying, I have a promise from God. I am a child of God. If God is for me, there is nothing that's going to stop me. There's nothing that's going to separate me from Christ. When you start your day off like that, the rest of your day progresses in the same way. And you start to emit the light that is in you of Jesus. And that is when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, that becomes true. But that starts off when you start off your day with prayer and you say, Jesus, I need this promise that you have for me to be real in my life today. So that starts with a personal confession every day in our life. It's not magic, and it doesn't come automatically. It takes an effort from ourselves when we say, God, I need you. And so then we see the relationship of 
the Israelites with, and the promise of God to the old Israel and to the new Israel. We see that the old Israel, we see from the uh, Old Testament that God didn't accept everybody who was born in the line of Abraham. Some of them were accepted like Isaac and Jacob and other people God rejected like Esau and Ishmael. And that's because there are per- people who accept the promise of God in the same way when we see in the time of Jesus, God said, okay, you're all Jewish, but certain people are accepting Jesus and certain people are rejecting Jesus. So the promise is continuing to the Jewish people who accepted Jesus. And that is what when you see in Romans chapter 11, you see that there's branches that have been, that that are in the olive tree, um, and then there are branches that's been cut off from the olive bra- from the olive tree, and rather there's new branches from outside, from wild olive trees that's being grafted into the olive tree, and that is what we are. Because I'm not Jewish, and a lot of people here are not Jewish, so all of us are Gentile, and by the grace of God, we've been grafted into the olive tree. Praise God. So as a response to the mercy of God, as a response to the love of God and what God has done in our life, how do we, how, what do we do with this? What do we do with this message? What do we do with this gospel? And that is what we see in Romans chapter 12. So can somebody read Romans chapter 12? So from chapter 12 through chapter 15 is the application of what we study from Romans 1 through 11. So Paul is using, okay, so when we read, uh, when we listen to a, a sermon, we always have an application towards the end. So think of it kind of like that. So this is an application. It starts off by saying, can somebody read Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, chapter 12? Okay, go ahead, till uh, verse 4. Thank you. Okay, so he says that offer yourself as living sacrifices. And I'm not going to go into a big sermon here because I know that we have heard a million sermons about this from this passage. But there's just one thing that I want to point out is that God says that we have to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But from my perspective and my understanding that when I read uh, a commentary, this made a lot of sense to me. When you uh, think about the Old Testament and imagine an altar with me and how a lamb is brought to the altar... And in the process of you taking a knife and trying to cut the uh, or slaughter the lamb, what is the lamb going to do? It's going to try and run away, especially if it's not tight or anything. It's going to run away. So if your pastor is trying to offer you as a living sacrifice or you're trying to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, imagine yourself as a lamb that's taken to slaughter as a sacrifice to God. If somebody is going to bring a knife to you, what's your natural response? You're going to run away. And that's what happens when God tries to test us a lot of times. Even though our natural response is running away, our natural response to the obedience of God sometimes is it's so hard and it's difficult. But you say, okay, God, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to be obedient to what you're saying. I'm going to be obedient to your law and to your command. And I'm going to make myself a living sacrifice. So even though this this test that is coming against me is so hard and difficult. I'm going to still lie at that altar 
as a living sacrifice, I'm not going to move. Does that make sense? Are you, uh, that spoke to me a lot, and I feel like I had a repentance moment when I was reading the commentary, when I was, reading, uh, 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 when I was trying to understand that passage, because a lot of times, I, that's what's happening, is your pastor is trying to like, teach you and learn you, uh, t- teach you and train you, and we run away because it's a hard les- a test, it's a hard lesson, it's a hard concept. But you have to say, okay, this is hard for me, it's hard to understand and put it into practice, but I'm still going to try. And I'm going to offer God willingly as a living sacrifice to not to conform to the world, but to be transformed. Because we as a Christian, a Christian community, we as you as a Christian, oh, sorry, I keep doing this a lot. <laughs> you as a person, we, we have been chosen and set apart. And a lot of times, especially with our, my generation, we say, okay, we have to be relevant. Okay, this doesn't make sense. And we try to be kind of rebellious and kind of uh, try to like undermine what our parents' generation, or our grandparents' generation have taught us about holiness and what it means to being set apart. And so we don't fully understand that, but it, we have to, or, or at least every generation, I think, needs to be, uh, intentionally try and live a life of holiness, and that means different for every person, and goes back to a few chapters b- before when it says, okay, then just give me a bunch of rules. It's hard to give you a bunch of rules because it looks different for every single person, right? And so you know yourself the best, and you need to come to God's presence, and you need to say, God, I want to be like you, because Jesus says you need to strive to be perfect, because your God the Father is perfect. Strive to be holy, and even, so even though there is no law to us, we need to live our, uh, keep ourselves above reproach, Keep ourselves above standard. And nobody is setting rules for you, but at the same time, you read the Bible and you, re- you come to God's presence and you say, God, how can I be more like you? What does it look like when I look more like God? What does it look like when I go into the world and how do, how do I look more different from the person next to me? So that needs to be intentional because if you look same, uh, uh, exactly like the same person, like the worldly person next to you who doesn't know Jesus, what's the difference? What is, what is the grace of God and the work of God doing in your life then? So there's, there needs to be some sort of outward reaction and response that happens because of the salvation and the grace of that God that has come into my life. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Okay, so um, Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 1, so that is what it means to be a, uh, a living sacrifice, and he says, do not conform to the world, but to be transformed. And when you do this, it goes on to say that you will know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Because all of us, we try to figure out what God's will is for our life, right? And so we try to ask our pastors, we try to read the Bible, we try to ask uh, other people who are wiser than us, God, what is your perfect will for me? Or what is God's perfect will for me? But instead, here is your recipe. The God, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 already tells you how to figure out God's perfect will is for your life. And that is by offering yourself as a living sacrifice and not to conform to the world. It's as simple as that, but it's not as simple too. So it's a conundrum. Uh, But, okay, so let's go on to, because uh, I need to move fast through these chapters. Uh, Let's turn to, I'm going to skip chapter 12, verse 
9 through 21, because I want this to be something that we read at the end of our Bible study together unanimously, because I feel like it's a very good thing that uh, all of us can read and apply to ourselves. Uh, so we'll leave that and we'll, we'll skip to chapter 13. So chapter 13 is about submitting yourself to authorities. So that could be your workplace, that could be the government, that could be your president, that could be your church, that could be your home with your parents, that could be with your husband, that could be with your grandparents. So any sort of an authority that's placed before you, that authority is placed there by God. So even though there are things that doesn't make sense to you, for example, right now I'm married and my husband is my authority. So both of us are educated. Both of us went to school. We both are wise. We make good decisions together. Except when we come to a point when, okay, it, something doesn't make sense to me and we disagree. I don't agree to disagree with him. I'm just going to say, okay, well, I guess I kind of agree to disagree. But I kind of say, okay, well, it doesn't make sense, but you are the head of my house. And you are my authority. So even though it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to go by your way because I place him as my authority. Or we could have a fight and the fight could last for a month and or we could go our two different ways. But instead, in every relationship or in every community, in every society, there's always an authority because you're always going to have some sort of tension. So you need that authority figure to be there to say, okay, None of this makes sense. We have disagreeing groups, but here I am as an authority to solve this problem. Does it make sense? So God has placed that authority in your life. So even though it's hard for us to sometimes agree with our authority figure, it is meant by God for us to submit to that authority, whether that's your pastor, whether that's your husband, whether that's your parent, whether that's your president, whoever it is, let's learn to submit. And it's all going to be for a season. Things are going to change over time. And let's trust that more than the authority figure that God has placed in our life, God is our authority. God wants everything in our life to be good. And he's going to work everything out to be perfect. So even though it doesn't make sense for this season, just be obedient, be patient, be submissive, and God's going to work it all out for his, for his and our benefit. Amen? And so that's pretty much uh, chapter 13, um, um, the, first, uh, the first passage. Then it talks about love. And this goes, it's, so Paul, remember in chapters 3 and 4, he talked about the law, okay? And it talked about the Ten Commandments. And remember the audience he's speaking to. The audience he's speaking to, you have a Jewish audience and you have a Greco-Roman audience as well. So the church right now is comprised of two different groups of people. So the Jewish people, obviously, they know the Ten Commandments. They know the scriptures. They know the Old Testament. They try to live their life perfectly to please God. But you also have uh, Gentiles who have come in. They didn't grow up reading the Torah. They didn't grow up reading the Old Testament or knowing the Ten Commandments. So how does this apply to them? And why is it that Paul refers to the Old Testament multiple times in Romans, even though he's, he realizes that he's not speaking to primarily a Jewish audience? And that goes back to our understanding of why we need the Old Testament. Because there is a group of people who falsely say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. 
And they don't preach from the Old Testament anymore because they think that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. And that's not true. And all because we need to, and there's a reason why when they, uh, when the early church fathers, when they put the Bible together in the canon, they said, we need the Old Testament and we need the New Testament. They could have reversed the order or they could have taken all the Old Testament books out and they could have said only the New Testament applies to us because most of us are Gentiles anyway right? So how is it that the Old Testament applies to us when we don't have to be circumcised, we don't have to follow all the Old Testament rules and things like that? So why is it that Paul refers to all the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament passages and why is it that the Old Testament is present even now? Because sometimes we don't understand the, what, the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did without the understanding of the Old Testament. Because you're going to think, oh, there's a guy who went to the cross and he died. What's the big deal? And we don't understand. Because when you're a Gentile and when you don't grow up with the understanding of what the importance and the life of holiness and, uh, and the, uh, the life that Jesus lived above the law and all of that and the, the fulfillment of the prophecies, when you don't realize all of that, you're just like, oh, Jesus is just a good guy who died. So it doesn't make sense. So you need to realize the importance of the Old Testament as well. So that is, and so Paul wanted the Old Testament, even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul wanted to emphasize the fact that the Old Testament is important in our lives. So for all of us who think that the Old Testament is not important, it is important. Let's go back to the Psalms. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to all the scriptures because it, it does speak to our life as well. Even now, even though it's a shadow to everything that's happened in the New Testament. For us to understand certain things in the New Testament, you do have to go back to the Old Testament as well. So, okay, so moving on from that, he says, but everything in the Old Testament comprises of one thing, and that is love. If you have love, you have fulfilled all the other commandments because love it supersedes all the other commandments. Does that make sense? So when you have love, you're automatically not going to steal. When you have love, you're automatically not going to kill. When you have love, you're not going to lust because you have love. You love that person and you, want to, you care about that person rather than your selfish desire because love is selfless. So when you have love, it, 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 even though you, whether you're a, a Christian or a Jewish person, Jewish Christian or a non-Jewish Christian, it doesn't matter because when you have love, it covers everything. Does it make sense? Um, and moving on to chapter 14, and I want to spend a good a few minutes on chapter 14 because I see my generation here and I see older generation. I, I see a few different generations here. I feel like it's an important topic that we need to cover. So if you turn to ch uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 through 23, if somebody could read that for me, please. In the beginning, uh, when we talked about the background of the book of Romans, is because we see two different communities here. One is the Jewish community, other is Greco-Roman church. Um, so we have two different groups, uh, groups of people. So the Jewish community, it's the second or third generation community that lives here in Rome. And so they come to an extent of saying, because the meat that was being cut in the slaughterhouses were not cut in a kosher way, they said, you know what, we're not going to have partake in it at all because it was not kosher. It was, not, it was offered to other gods. And they didn't want to become impure and dishonor God. So they said, in, in order to do that, we're not going to eat meat at all. So Jewish people, they, they're not vegetarians. I mean, they, eat, they used to eat meat. Old Testament says you can eat meat, but they have strict dietary rules. 
But because the place that they lived in did not follow that, they went to the extent of saying, we're not going to eat meat at all. It goes back to Daniel when you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel saying, we're not going to eat anything that's not kosher. So kind of like that, the Jewish people here, they said, we're going to become vegetarians. And so the, the Christian church, now you, the Jewish group, they did not eat meat. And the uh, new converts that they had, they said, you don't need to eat meat also. So for the longest time, nobody in the church uh, ate meat and they were all vegetarians. But when the church uh, went back, the Jewish people, when they went back at the time of Claudius for a period of five years, it was the church comprised of just Greco-Roman people. And these are people who grew up eating good meat. Okay, so they, they were like, you know what? I don't see in the Bible that we it's okay or it's not okay for us to eat meat. This is ridiculous. So they said, forget following the Sabbath. Forget following all the Old Testament. Forget not eating meat. We're going to do this. So when the people came back in 8065, when Claudius died and the new emperor came back in, the Jewish people returned back to their homeland in Rome. And the church now is eating meat and they're not following the Sabbath. They're not circumcising their children and all of these things. And they're just like, we just left for five years and what has happened? And for them, this is utmost unholiness. And for the Greco-Roman people, they were like, this doesn't make any sense to us. Like, it is okay. This is not, this is not unholy or anything. So there was a church fight that happened because there was some people were legalistic one way and the other people were not. So you have two different extremes that you're dealing with. And Paul comes here. And so the weak believer, a lot of times when we read this, and the first time when I read this a few years ago, I thought the weak believer were the Greco-Roman people. But the weak believer here are the Jewish people. Okay, and so he says to the Greco-Roman people or the Roman people, he says, you are the stronger people. For you, it doesn't matter whether you're eating meat or whether you're not eating meat. But he, there are people for, uh, for whom this is a stumbling block to. They don't understand this. This is the way they grew up. And so for that reason, when you come together in a potluck, let's not eat meat. Let's all be vegetarian. When you go home, you eat meat, you do whatever you want. But for the sake of unity of the church... Because food itself doesn't matter. Because they were not following the Sabbath. The uh, Old Testament or uh, the Jewish people back then, during this time, they followed the Sabbath uh, according, uh, they kept the Sabbath laws. And so the entire day they wouldn't do any work. So the Roman people there, there, uh, there they had a prejudice saying the Jewish people are lazy on the Sabbath so they, because they don't do anything. The Roman people were hardworking. They worked every single day. They did not keep certain days as holy, but there were other days that they kept as holy. So you had a cultural barrier or a cultural clash that came here, and Paul is trying to contextualize the gospel here. And that's really important because most of us here are Indian people. So we come with a different culture. The land that we live in is America, which is completely different as well. So it's important for us to apply the gospel still because the gospel is still the same, whether you're Indian or whether you're American, whoever it is, the gospel is still the same. When you come to the church, let's put aside all these divisions that's causing us that we, that we learn from schools or our parents or our culture. These are divisions that the world teaches us. When you come under Christ, the ground is level. When you come under Christ, there should be no, no such divisions. So when you come under Christ, you see somebody else walking in uh, for the first time and they don't look like you, they don't dress like you, 
they don't act like you, they don't talk like you, before you cast the first stone, let's say, okay, how am I supposed to show the love of Christ to this person? Especially now, this applies to our church because we're starting off with the international service and a lot of other uh, people from different cultures are walking into it. It's so important for us to come in with a clean mind and a clean eye with open arms and say, okay, God, I don't know, this doesn't make sense to me, but I want this person to know you. Because that is the most important thing, is for them to accept Christ. And then we can work in them and then say, okay, this, and you can work out all the differences later in times to come. The most important thing is unity. And that was what Paul was seeing is that the basic thing that, was, that they were lacking in this church was just unity for something so silly and so trivial as food, right? And so uh, in one of our previous churches, we pa- uh, Pastor Justin and I, we pastored an international church back in Springfield. And so uh, one of the things that we brought up was, okay, when, and we had pasta like every single week. And we had tons of people came, like a lot of new people came to our church. And so we said, you know what, because we have a lot of people come and a lot of them were Muslims and they don't eat pork, so let's not have bacon in our food. Or if you do have bacon, let's keep that as a separate dish. And you have a dish or you have an item that's not that doesn't have pork and so and they they did not understand that at first because in America bacon is everything right you cook everything in bacon oil pork is everything but when you're from a different culture or from when you're from India we don't eat beef or well I eat beef and most of us eat beef but uh, 90% or 75% of the people don't eat beef and so when you do do that and when you have that understanding and when you're opening your church to non-believers and you know that okay there could be a person who walks in who doesn't eat meat have an item that doesn't have a meat option does it make sense if you if every item that you have for a potluck has meat when a vegetarian walks in automatically they're going to see okay there's nothing for me and they're going to walk out which is kind of okay because you're going to be like oh it's okay it's the first time they're going to be generous but that's not hospitable so as a church we need to be welcoming and intentional thinking that we are going to have new christians or new people come in we have to be intentional and so that and that goes back to the food because food is so trivial So when it is so trivial, our most important thing is for us to reach out to other people. Let us learn to be hospitable. And I feel like as Indian people, that's in our blood. As Indian people, we're naturally hospitable. Or being in Texas, we have Southern hospitality. We're very hospitable. So when we are hospitable, let's put other people before us. And you see that in Romans, uh, Paul refers to putting other people before you, thinking of other people above you, better than you, multiple times actually in the book of Romans. He's peppered that throughout, and that is, and that is again uh, what love is. When you have love, you think about the other person before yourself. Does it make sense? Okay, so uh, finishing with that, again, he says in, um, can you read uh, chapter 15, verse 1 through 2? Okay, so that pretty much concludes what he was saying, but I just looked at my notes, and there's something else that I want to talk about, too, because I don't want people to twist my words, because I know my generation, and we are really good at that, and we take everything for, uh, to, uh, they're going to be like, Pastor Anisha said this, so I can do this. And so I want to go back uh, to chapter, uh, verse 20, which says, um, I just saw that. 
Okay, verse 21, which says, It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your, bro- cause your brother to stumble. Because we have had arguments with every generation saying, okay, what, is, what does this mean? Like, is this okay or is, is it not okay? So I don't know where you stand, but I just want to say that as an Assemblies of God church, we don't drink wine or we don't consume an alcohol. And I think I can say that from the pulpit. I, I do have the authority to say that we don't. So I'm reiterating that and as an Assemblies of God church, we don't. And uh, you need to think of it as a stumbling block. So in a, in a world, and as a, uh, being in a pastor's house, when we go out to eat or drink, uh, Pastor Justin and I, we try to not get anything that is not white or that doesn't look like water. Because when going through Bible college, one of the first things or, or the last things that they taught us before we left was when you go to a restaurant, don't get something that looks super fizzy or that, ha- that looks uh, kind of uh, misleading because somebody could walk in and they could say, oh, Pastor Justin, look at what he's drinking. Or somebody could take a picture and they're going to say, oh, look at what he's drinking. So to avoid that, when we go out, we usually get water or we usually get Sprite, because I don't want anybody to look at us and be like, oh, look at them, they're drinking this. What could be in that water or what could be in that drink? So as pastors, we try to live a life above reproach because we don't want to be a stumbling block to the youth group that we lead them to, or we don't want to be a stumbling block to the church people that who's going to look through our Facebook pictures. Does that make sense? And so Paul is saying, and he lived in a culture where all of this was okay, but to the church, he's saying, If this is what your standard is, then live by that standard because you don't want to be a stumbling block to another person. So... So when, like Pastor Sam preached a few weeks ago, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So you need to think about the other person sitting next to you saying, okay, is this going to be a stumbling block for the person next to me? Is this going to be a stumbling block for my kids, for my youth group, for my children? Is it going to be a stumbling block? Is somebody going to question my character? And is that going to be, uh, bring disgrace to the church and to the gospel? So there's a lot of things that you have to consider before you get a drink in a restaurant, in other words. So, um, but that was on a lighter note. Uh, but in all of those things, the basic thing, again, that Paul is talking about is love. When you have love, you consider another person to be better than you. When you have love, you put, you respect the other person and the other person's needs more than you. And so uh, as in a conclusion, in chapters 15 and 16, Paul is just giving concludery remarks. I can go to chapter 16 and talk about like all the fun facts about all the people, and which is really cool and very interesting to see how diverse the church was at the time and how uh, amazing the congregation was at the time. But uh, I don't want to take time to do that. Uh, so in Overall, I want to thank the church for giving me this opportunity to lead, uh, to do this Bible study in Romans. And the key thing in all of Romans is the power of the gospel. So no matter what, the gospel is so amazing and that we should not be ashamed of the gospel. It is something that we have to wear as a badge when you walk into stores, when you walk into your school, when you walk into your college or your workplace, wherever you go. This gospel is what needs to shine more than your name, more than your job, more than anything else, the gospel of Christ needs to be evident. So I pray that as you go forward the rest of the week, that you will be intentional in preaching Christ, in showing the gospel, whether through your words or through your actions, and that you will show love above everything else. Amen. May God bless you. 